Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thursday night football was Thursday night drama. What a game, what an ending. What happened? The Bucks and the Patriots will break it all down for you on this edition of the Rick and Tom podcast. Plus, later on, we'll look ahead to the opening of the Lightning season with Times beat writer Joe Smith. Hey, everybody, welcome in. Tom Jones, Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks for joining us here on the Rick and Tom podcast. Hopefully, you have subscribed. You can also hear us on SoundCloud and TampaBay.com. We are recording this from the press box at Raymond James Stadium after Thursday night's 19 to 14 bucks lost to the Patriots on Thursday night football. So much to talk about, Rick. So many key moments, so many key players. I don't even know where to start, so I'll just throw it to you. I'll let you do the heavy lifting. Where do you even start with this game? Um, you know, there's a Phil Collins song with a with a lyric, uh, Did I miss again? Nick Folk is going to play that on the way home. There's a lot of people that uh, did not have their best games, and uh, and frankly, I think Jameis Winston was one of them. He had a great fourth quarter, not so good before that, only 109 yards passing going into the fourth quarter. But, you know, it came down to, uh, again, what was three missed field goals. We'll, we'll give him the 56-yarder at the end of the half. That's a, That would have been a career high, would have tied it. But to miss two in the fourth quarter, 49 yards wide left, and then 31 yards wide left as well uh, with about five, five and a half minutes left in the game, needing two scores to win, um, you just can't have that. You, can, you compound that with what happened just five days ago you know, with the New York Giants game, fortunate to win that game in the last second, but had missed two other field goals. So they're going to be looking and finding a new place kicker at the very least. But this was a very winnable game. It, wasn't a, it was an ugly game. The defense hung in there unbelievably with four starters missing from the lineup. Um, I didn't think the Patriots were great by any stretches. Um, and, but, you know, you can't score, what, 14 points and win a National Football League game, especially against against these guys and Tom Brady. No, you're talking about a team, Rick, that in the New England Patriots, they were statistically last in the National Football League in terms of defense, yards allowed. They had given up like a ridiculous, they're almost 500 yards a game. They've been giving up 30 points a game, more than 30 points a game, like second worst in the league. And this offense, Rick, produced 14 points. And I know we're going to look at Nick Folk. We'll talk more about Nick Folk and just how costly those missed field goals were. And they absolutely were very costly. But how about instead of missing field goals, you get down and score some touchdowns? Amen. And really, if you throw out the fourth quarter, and I realize fourth quarter, it's a four-quarter game, so the fourth quarter counts. Sure. But through three quarters, Rick, this offense, even with Nick Falk, even if you make those field goals, they were doing nothing. And Jameis was, I thought, awful for, for three quarters. I thought he played, as, as well as he played last week, I thought that's how bad he played uh, for three quarters this week. Um you know they couldn't convert third downs. I think at one point I know they were. They, I know they were. I don't know. Oh, for five. It might have been more than that in one stretch. Uh, and you know they they left their defense out th- out there to rot. And the defense actually, I mean, hung in there. I mean, 19 points against the team that averages 32 a game. And Tom Brady is pretty darn good. Certainly good enough to win. Uh, but Jameis Winston was just he's kind of all over the place. And you know if I'd have told you, hey, they're getting Doug Martin back. He's going to average 5.7 yards of carry and get 74 yards. You're going to rush for 90. Um, Deshaun Jackson's going to get off finally with uh, 106 yards receiving, including a, a bomb, you know, a kind of a crossing route that went for 41. You'd feel pretty good, and Jameis was going to throw for 300. But it didn't come together that way. It was, right. it was disjointed. They didn't, they didn't have any momentum uh, for, through three quarters. And, and let's be honest. Teams, you know, are going to back off and play a lot of zone and make you earn your way, eat your way down the field to get back in the game, which is what the Patriots did. They used an awful lot of clock trying to get back in this game. And when Folk missed, you know, um, from from 31, you know, it, it was going to take a miracle. They nearly pulled it off. I mean, at the end of the day, Jameis Winston is firing a ball from the nine-yard line into the end zone. 
mm-hmm. uh, with two seconds left to end the game, and he just didn't give O.J. Howard a chance to turn around and see the ball or any receiver to actually see the ball, leave his hand, and didn't give him a chance to catch it. But that's that's how close it was to, to the Bucks. You know, pulling off uh, another miracle finish here. We're mentioning what they did through three quarters, Rick. And through three quarters, at that point, Doug Martin had carried the ball 12 times for 74 yards. So he was even more effective, 6.2 yards per carry. Okay, so you're doing well through three quarters in terms of running the football. But Jameis Winston, listen to these numbers, through three quarters, 13 of 25. 13 of 25 for 109 yards. And up to that point... Deshaun Jackson had caught two balls for 12 yards. This is through three quarters now. And, Rick, if he hits Deshaun Jackson in the first three quarters, I'm talking now, on a couple of big plays, he was wide open on. This game is totally different. They don't go to the fourth quarter down 16-7. to They might be up by a score at that point. But, again, Rick, it goes back. Then you wrote about it all week. You talked about this chemistry that he's not having with Deshaun Jackson. And I'll even go this far, Rick, to say that the numbers at the end of the day were a little deceiving when it came to Deshaun Jackson in the oh, big yeah. game he had. Because as you mentioned, he caught that one pass for 41 yards. Well, you know what it was? It was a five-yard slant that Deshaun Jackson, just by his pure speed, turned into a 41-yard game. And I'm quite frankly shocked that he even got caught. But again, Rick, through three quarters, they just offensively, you score seven points. That's just not going to get it done in the National Football League. Seven points against a defense that has had trouble, uh, you know, and has given up, as you said, just a ton of a ton of yards, 60 more yards per game than the next team. Um, that's an awful lot. And the worst passing defense in the league, they played better today. You give them that. But, uh, you know, we kind of – we're at the point now with, with Jameis. I guess the good news is – there is such a thing. He didn't turn the ball over. He had another turnover-free game. Mm-hmm. But he really is still riding the roller coaster. I mean, we're getting consistently – you know he's capable of throwing for 300 yards. But a lot of times, you know, those 300-yard games come when you're behind and you're trying to catch up just like they did today, you know, all but 109 yards in the fourth quarter. But you can't start games the way he has started them. And, and, what, and, and Thursday night – it seems like the the national TV audience, the bigger the hype, the more wound up he is to start games. I mean, he's that, you know, he's Chris Archer, you know, in the first inning. I mean, he's everything's up, everything's high, everything's wide, everything's and, – and he still, you know, had the chance. They dialed up the perfect play. Deshaun Jackson beats his – you know, beats Malcolm Butler by five yards. It's a layup throw, and he overshoots him somehow, you know, by another five. So – um, just missed opportunities and and the and, and the riding the roller coaster of this quarterback, which is sort of how the team is. They kind of you know they obviously go the way Jameis does, but Jameis has looked more calm before tonight. Jameis looked more in control before tonight. Jameis mm-hmm. checked the ball down more before tonight, and he was just off. He, he, he sort of you know played you know the offense played the way he did. Well, and the thing that was disappointing too, Rick, it's not like they had bad field position. Their average starting drives were at the 31-yard line, which is you know pretty good when you're playing against anybody. The the thing that Dirk Cutter mentioned after the game that I found very interesting, and I thought I think you make a great point, Rick, in terms of at that point New England's got a, a lead and they're trying to protect that lead, so they're gonna they're gonna make you take 14 plays or 12 plays going up the field. They're not gonna get burned by anything going behind them, but. He said, we got kind of, this is Dirk Cutter now, we got kind of helter-skelter in the fourth quarter. And maybe Jameis plays better, he said. You know, we really didn't get into, like Greg was saying, we really just didn't get into a rhythm until until we started playing sort of helter-skelter there the last couple drives. And sometimes we play better when it's like that, you know. Sometimes sometimes we play better. That's, that's the whole no-huddle theory. And we were mixing some no-huddle in uh, throughout the game. But when you're not making first downs, when you're not making first downs, that you you don't ever get in a rhythm. You don't ever get a chance to get the defense on on their heels. You know, I don't know if that's something that you can duplicate or replicate early in games instead and go to a, more of a quick huddle. But I, I it was, I found that to be a very interesting comment from Dirk Cutter that the more scrambly things are, maybe the better Jameis is. Well, he has the ability to extend plays, and when he does that, he's actually pretty good. Um, but you don't want to, you know. You can't. You don't want to call those per se, 
they tried to have balance. They tried to run the football. They were successful with Doug Martin, not successful with Rodgers or Sims. But whether it's the hurry up, whether you know, the problem is, is that if you're in a no huddle all day and you go three and out the way these guys did, you're not using any clock. I mean, as it was, they they had their defense on the field way too much. I thought. Hats off to Mike Smith. I mean, he goes into this game with no Levante David again, no Quan Alexander, no T.J. Ward, and no Keith Tandy. And somehow they managed to allow one touchdown. When was the last time, and I should know the answer to this, I haven't looked it up, it's the last time the New England Patriots scored one touchdown in a game. I mean, it's yeah. been forever. Oh, yeah. So, and, look, and, I, and I don't think it wasn't like Brady. It was funny. It's so funny. Like you watch this game that I and I had this impression all through the game as you're watching that, that Tom Brady's having an awful night and, you know, he's getting hit and he scrambled around and he threw some, you know, he threw an interception on the first series of the game, which was just a, an absolute horrible throw. I don't know if it slipped out of his hand or what. And then he fumbled another ball. And you get this, like I said, you get this impression that he's having this like just awful night. And then you look up and at one point. He was like 20 for 24 for 220 yards. You're like, wait a minute. He's actually yeah. moving the ball up and down the field. But here's the thing, Rick, when the team's not scoring points, it doesn't feel like the guy's having a big game. And and I'm with you. This defense, if you'd have told me no Quan Alexander, no Levante David, no TJ Ward, uh, who out there, and they're missing, I think they're missing four starters overall, if you count TJ Ward as a starter. And they gave they they gave this team every chance to win. New England had chances to score touchdowns. They were kicking field goals instead. And we'll get into the interesting uh, the decision by Belichick late in the game to kick a field goal, which turned out to be brilliant. But um, you know, overall, when you look at this defense that the that the Bucks had on Thursday night, I thought they did a super job against this team. And having said that, I mean they did a good job on the scoreboard. They didn't get off the field very much. I mean, they gave up no, 402 yards of offense. But they were good on third down, four of twelve. That's what you that's what you strive for, um, you know. And and again, it's 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 about the points, right? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, New England didn't score that much. I mean, they they had fewer first downs than the Bucks did. And having said all of this, which we just did uh, about Jameis, which I think it starts there. You don't let it come down to field goals. The fact of the matter is, Tom, if this this team is, you know, less than six inches away from losing two games in the last five days. Mm -hmm. Because Nick Folk, who missed an extra point and two field goals against the Giants, got another chance because of Jameis Winston driving him down there with five completions, 55 yards, and they set up the game winner that Folk barely gets inside the left upright. Comes out here today. Tries a 49-yarder, or 56-yarder, I'm sorry, at the end of the half. Okay, so you missed that one. He was trying to drive it. Yeah, you give him a break. You give give him a pass on that one. Yeah, I mean, that would have been a career high, but it would have been nice, you know what I mean, right there. Yeah, it's nice to get one of those every now and then. They got back-to-back unsportsmanlike penalties on the Patriots that allowed them to move the ball even into field goal range at the end of the half when they were uh, trailing, you know, 10-7. to They could have tied it. But then, you know, to come out in 49 yards – you got to make that. And then the 31-yarder, I mean, that's shorter than an extra point these days. And Nick Folk is not going to have a job. I mean, Dirk Cutter after the game said that. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Jason uh, I, Jason and I uh, had a brief conversation afterwards, and uh, that'll, that'll be something that'll be, you know, forthcoming. But, you know, you don't want to make any, any rash decisions. <laughs> because I got, I got to be honest with you, I don't think he makes it to the locker room before I say, Hey, uh, Nick, um, somebody to be at one buck tomorrow if you want to clean out your locker by 8 a.m. I mean, that would have been my, my parting shot to him because there's no way. You can't, you can't go to Arizona no. and think you're going to trot Nick Folk out there. I mean, whoever they sign may not be better, but he's gonna, not going to be Nick. And, you know, they guarantee this guy $750,000. This is what happens when you're chasing field goal kickers. I have covered this team I have seen this happen. I've seen this act before. I saw it after Martin Gramatica went bad. Um, you know, they, they, they messed around and finally looked like that they, that they solved it a little bit. Um, and, and then they're right back in this abyss. And, I mean, even when Lovey came in, this is how Jason Light started his career in Tampa Bay with Kyle Brinza, a kicker from Notre Dame. 
who had a big, strong leg, and they go early in the season to Houston. He cost absolutely cost them a game by missing three or four field goals, whatever it was, extra point, a couple field goals. They, they decided to keep him one more week. He cost them the next game. And so, you know, that's why Jason Light, quite frankly, went out and used a second-round pick, which was absolutely. way too much, to get Roberto Guayo, the most accurate place kicker in Florida State, in college history at Florida State. And he thinks, hey, for 10 years I might solve this problem. This guy is a special guy. He's a special kicker, et cetera. And then what happens? He goes sour. I mean, the guy makes 71%. So to hedge their bets, they go out and guarantee Nick Folk three-quarters of a million dollars as their insurance. When we all saw the, the you know, hard knocks where Dutter, Dirk Cutter says, I just think Nick's our field goal kicker, well, he ain't anymore. And if they had a good kicker tonight, despite how badly they played for three-quarters and Jameis Winston, they're 3-1 and one right now. And we, and we know that when you get to December, these games count the same. And if they miss the postseason, they're going to look back at this game and this kicker and this decision to let him run back out here after the Giants game. And Nick, you know, Dirk said he had a great week of practice. When Nick won the job in training camp, and he's he's been really solid in practice, and you know the, that the thing that happened last week kind of came out of left field. There was no indication that was coming, and uh, we only kicked live in practice one day this week, and Nick was Nick was lights out. So. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, these last two weeks of you know haven't been exactly what we're looking for, and of course Nick will be the first to admit that. I saw it coming because I watched last week's game. I know who had confidence today, who yeah. had confidence in him because he had a good week of practice. I mean, I'm not. I mean, maybe they should have cut him after this week. Maybe they were going to watch and see how he kicked. You know, during the week, I don't know if they worked out kickers. They may well have done that. I guarantee you that he will not. He sh- he will not have a job. The next time that they they line up in Arizona, I can't, I can't imagine. imagine. I can't imagine. And that would be malpractice if you do, and you deserve to lose. Oh, yeah, you deserve anything that happens to you after that. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember I was with you for the for the the season two years ago, Rick, which is why I agreed one hundred percent about Jason Light trading up to get Roberto Aguayo. I was like, I, I don't know how many people agree with me. Very few. And looking back now turned out to be a horrible decision boy what could you have done with that second round pick if you chose somebody else instead of Roberto Guayo but I I saw how it a kicker cost him football games two years ago and I understood Jason Light's mentality and now I understand tonight Rick because here's what happened and, I, and it's not just adding up points you don't just sit there and go okay well if you no. made this one this one this one that's nine extra points blah 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 there's more to it than that they're down it's five there's five minutes and 39 seconds left in this game they're down sixteen to ten, I believe yep, it was. That's no, correct. sixteen to sixteen to seven 16 at the time. They're 7. down sixteen to seven. So you're thinking mentally, what Dirk Cutter's thinking is: here's what we need. We need two possessions. Two scores. We need two scores. We need a field goal and we need a touchdown and we need one stop. That's what we need to win this football game. And so with five thirty nine left, what happens? You end up you miss a thirty one yarder, which has to be automatic in the National Football League. You miss that. Now it's sixteen seven. Now everything changes. Now all of a sudden New England, there's not as much pressure to score anymore to go down and, and get points or put together a long drive. And I'll tell you what else it does too. When when it's if if you can make it sixteen to ten and and you get a stop, um, you know, just just your mentality changes, your momentum changes. You you just play the game differently. At that yeah. point, well, and, oh, by the way, they went down and scored a touchdown. Okay, okay, that's and that's the other point I was going to make. Not only did they get down and score a touchdown, so now what do you do? Now you got to make an onside kick instead of just right, just playing normal, just because you have the lead at that point. Right. That's what happens when you're, as you talk about, Rick, when you're chasing points the entire game. And everybody will say, well, you know, you can't leave it, and, and you know, I mean. Jameis was fam- is famous for saying this after the game, and it's true, you know, that the offense didn't finish some drives. They, they didn't have to leave it up to their place kicker. But you know what? That's why you have them. I mean, Stephen Goskowski, I believe, kicked three field goals tonight. Did he not? Yes. yes so without those three field goals, and he was three for three, the New England Patriots don't score many points. Was it three or four? You're wrong. Yeah, I, was gonna, I was just saying, he kicked he four kicked field goals. Four. He was okay. four for four. So he was four for four, right? And if he even misses a couple or one or whatever, it's a different game. In other words, they got a guy, and I know Goskowski is one of those rare dudes, right, that uh, has come in and 
you know, if you can imagine replacing Adam Vinatieri, he's just as good. Yeah. I mean, he could be headed to the Hall of Fame too. Um, but having said that, they've struck, they've caught lightning in a bottle twice. But their their guy did his job, and they won the game. The Bucks guy, place kicker, did not do his job, and they lost the game. And and you say, well, it's not fair. It's one guy. No, that's his job. You got to have a guy that's going to make 81, 83 something percentage for the season. That's what and that's what Folk has been in his career. And wouldn't you know? And I, you know, it's weird. It's like he watched Guayo struggle. Really, Folk didn't have a great training camp or preseason. It was really a toss-up. They just didn't trust. You know, the statement that Jason Light made was, when Folk misses one, I feel like he's going to make the next one. When Aguayo misses, I feel like he's never going to make another kick. Yeah. And that's that. they really took the, the lesser. Neither one played very well in the preseason, but they had already committed to one or the other, and now they're going to chase it, and it's cost them a game. There's no other way to look at it. Even though they didn't play well, you're at home. These are the games you find a way to win if your kicker does his job. And it's unfortunate. They've got to get better. If what They weren't embarrassed tonight. It was kind of an ugly game. No. But, man, what an opportunity. You had a full house. The crowd was into it. And, and it's such an emotional letdown. I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's like you drive, you drive. Okay, you don't finish the drive, but you're in the game, and then you get the miss. And so well, now I, all the time has come off the yeah. clock. Now, now you're up against it. Totally changes everything. Well, and that's what I say. When you look back, Rick, the, the New England Patriots, Tom Brady never throws interceptions. He throws one tonight. He turns it over again on a fumble, sack fumble. You get three sacks. Your defense plays well. New England had like a 1,000 penalties in this game. Which they did. They, they, they played sloppy all night. It's a Thursday night. You're at home. The other team's driving all the way from Boston on a short week. They're not supposed to be able to do that well. And all these things that were set up, you, you get Doug Martin back. He actually has a pretty good game. You do all these things that should point to a victory and you still lose. And again, I know it's part of it is because of what happened with Nick Falk, but there's also just this real feeling of an opportunity lost. And as much as you want to sit here and blame Nick Falk, and, and he certainly shares a lot of the blame, it should not completely mask the fact that they didn't no. play well offensively for for way for no. way too much of this game. Three quarters. I mean, if you do not watch the fourth quarter, if you have not seen this game, and you go and you you watch three quarters of football, and I know it's a four sixty minute game, they always say, but if you watch the first three quarters, you go, oh man, that's a horrible offense. Jameis Winston had a terrible game, and you know what he did, and he knows he did. And he was, you know, at the end of the day, he was the same after the game. At the end of the game, the quarterback got to make a play. That's the bottom line. You got to make a play at the end of the game. And I don't know. I mean, I can't really sum up nothing else but that. The quarterback has to make a play. Yeah, that's true. That'd be nice. That'd be Hall of Fame stuff, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. But what about the other three quarters? What about the way Jameis started the game? And this is not the first time he has started nationally televised games this way. You know, for whatever reason, this guy will come out sometimes and will just misfire. He threw high to Doug Martin. He threw, you know, uh, you know, wide to Cameron Bray. I mean, it's just he just wasn't accurate. And I'm not talking about when he got pressure. I'm talking set your feet, throw the ball. You know, he's behind, I think it was Charles Sims one time when, when Sims is – going to run for about 25 yards. He throws it way behind him. He can't even catch the ball. Those are simple throws, well protected in pocket. you got to deliver the football, and he's just not being consistent, and it's game to game. I mean, it's, it's week to week. You just you know you got a chance with him, but you don't know which Jameis you're going to get. And, again, he didn't turn it over. That's great. He threw for 300 yards. It looks good in the stats. But he didn't play well enough to win, and it's not just because Tom Brady was on the other sideline. Tom Brady didn't hurt his team, but he didn't have a great night. He scored one touchdown. Right. No, Tom Brady was 30 for 40 on the night for 303 yards. And, again, I I said I felt like he had an okay night. I didn't feel like he had a spectacular night. But you go back, Rick, to to, – even with the fourth quarter, if you count everything, Deshaun Jackson, he caught five balls for 106 yards. He was targeted nine times. Uh, 41 yards came on one play. Uh, Mike Evans really didn't have an impactful night, just kind of a, just a 
just an okay night. I think he caught passes less than 50 yards or something like that. Adam Humphreys had a couple hatches. Uh, I'm not sure O.J. Howard made a catch tonight. Uh, maybe he did. I don't think he did. Uh, he tried targeting him on the final play of the game, but really that not much of a chance to complete that pass. Let's go back to that final drive for a second, Rick. The Bucks get the ball back, and they are down six, uh, 19 to 14. Well, let's even go back a little bit further than that. How surprised were you? Patriots have the ball. 114 left. They're trying to run out the clock. They got a fourth and three at the Tampa Bay 30-yard line. Fourth and think about this now. Fourth and three from the Tampa Bay 30. You have Tom Brady as your quarterback. I would have bet you any money in the world that Belichick would have gone for it there. Instead, he sends out the kicker for a 48-yarder, and he drills it. Then that makes it a 19-14 lead. But were you surprised that Belichick went for it there? Or uh, um, went for the field goal there? I thought he would not want to turn the ball back to the Bucs uh, that easily. I mean, he had a chance to run the game out. But they, you know, the Bucks defense had, had kind of bowed up when they needed to. Bucks are out of timeouts at that point now. They're out of timeouts. We had an awful lot of confidence in Guskowski. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Made three already. And it was a big field goal because it's 16-14. If he misses or something goes wrong there, the Bucs have good field position. And I know it's going to be like last week, right, where all you need is a field goal. Well, they got to the nine-yard line, mm-hmm. you know. So maybe <laughs> – Maybe Falk does it again and, and knocks it through from, you know, 28 yards or whatever. But um, it, it just – it was sort of a, you know, a, a call by Belichick. Is he ever wrong when he does stuff like that? Um, I can remember, you know, not too many years ago he was playing the Colts and Peyton Manning, and he went for it on fourth and, and yes. long. And his whole thing was we couldn't stop him. We didn't want to – we did not want to give them the ball back. We wanted to end the game right there, and then it ended up costing them. So, the Belichick is rarely wrong about these things, and he had a good field goal kicker, and the Bucks didn't. The Bucks get the ball back. They're down uh, at that point, nineteen to fourteen. Uh, the big play on that drive was a pass to Jackson for twenty-four yards. That gave them the ball right at midfield, about the forty-nine, their own forty-nine yard line. Forty-four seconds left. I thought they would rush up and spike it there. They decide to run a play, and I, that might have been a costly error right there, Rick, because DeMar Dotson jumped off sides. or It was a false start. 10-second runoff. That was the worst part of it. Yeah, it wasn't the five-yard backup. All that doesn't help. It was the 10-second runoff. So you go from 44 seconds down to 33 seconds, and then uh, and then you try to you actually made a couple of plays after that and it came down to one final play three seconds I think they actually got to the 19 yard line I think that's as close you're right as the got. 19 not the nine and then T, and they tried to get hit OJ Howard uh, that last drive Rick I, I mean I don't know I mean you, if Demar Dotson doesn't jump maybe they have a play open there I was I was surprised they didn't spike it there but I, I don't know it's hard to hard to criticize. Uh, Dirk Cutter for his play calling or clock management there because I think they did the best they could. Yeah, and I mean he did have a chance to throw in the end zone from a uh, you know a manageable distance. It wasn't a hail mary, nineteen yards. You see those passes all the time. Sure. Uh, the one thing he didn't do on the play, and he said this after the game, he regrets it. And if it, again, I know we always forget. You know the guy's played thirty six games, right? He's twenty three years old. He was. Five years old when Tom Brady was in the NFL. <laughs> Think about that. Five. Yeah, that's, incre- that's incredible. And and, uh, and Beckwith was four. Um, so, I mean, think about think about the number of games, the things they have seen. That's who he's going against, the goat. And yet, he's toe to toe with him a little bit, so to speak. But you know, he still, you know, he still had a chance to you know to take them down there and 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 make a play. And he did not give O.J. Howard or Cameron Braid or whoever was in on that play a chance to get into the end zone, turn around, and try to make a play on the ball. He really was not, he was a little under pressure, but he should have tried to buy some time 
because that's a stick throw. You know, you might get a pass interference. You might, you know, thread one through the needle there. But to just throw the ball, you know, in anticipation that the guy's going to look exactly when, you know, with his back is to you, he's going to turn around and catch it. Yeah. That's an awfully difficult thing to do. And, and I know that if he had that play to do over again, um, he'd have taken a better shot at it. Let's talk about Jameis just for a second, Rick, because I was getting reaction on Twitter throughout the game and getting emails from people. And uh, I know it's during the emotion of a game and right after a game like this where, where emotions are running high and people want to make these declarative statements like he's a bust or he's never going to be that great quarterback or why can't he play in the first three quarters the way he did in the fourth quarter. I'm still the the feeling that he's so young, 23 years old, he's only played 30-some games in the NFL, that there's still room for improvement and he will get better and he will mature. But is there any concern, Rick, that, you know, geez, maybe this is who he is, man. Maybe he's just going to be one of those guys that some days you go, wow, that's unbelievable. And other days you're going to go, oh, what was that? You got to see the peaks and valleys start to smooth out. I mean, you know, this game is a week-to-week business, you know, um, few quarterbacks go 16 weeks without making mistakes or having bad games or off nights. It's rare. And then, you know, you got to credit the other team for knowing what they're doing too. I mean, they're attacking his weaknesses. They're making him make throws that he's not comfortable maybe making. Um, so having said all that, uh, we, it's still too early to know what he's going to be. I know this. He's a very emotional player. And we've talked about this with Jameis where – you know, there's passion, which is good, and there's emotion, which can get out of control. And, you know, he's not headbutting other players like he did in Dallas and <laughs> getting 15-yard penalties, you know, and that sort of thing. So I think he's in control of his team, of the line of scrimmage. But it, I've seen three of these Thursday night games, and I'm telling you, watch the first quarter, if not the first half of all three of them, and you will see a quarterback and an offense who's just a little too hyped and a little too up in the bit. You'll see receivers drop balls. You'll see some really bad throws. You'll see some three and outs early in games. You'll see them fall behind. This is a pattern. Uh, I know the games are on national TV every week, but this was the only game on in the NFL. And it meant an awful lot to this franchise and to this football team and a lot to Jameis Winston, who – had an opportunity to show the nation, and, and this is and and the other quarterback on and the other, other quarterback on the other yeah. sideline who he held in such reverence that he talked about how he was just excited to be able to say hello to him after the game, and he didn't know what he was going to say when he got over there. I mean, goodness gracious, it's just another football player. I mean, I know, I guess you know, if you meet somebody like that, that's the top of your field, and you want to. One day, you know, you're chasing the greats of the game. I don't know. But by the same token, calm down. I mean, the other game, I have seen him in other games last week look much more in control. Now, maybe you credit Belichick for that. You know, maybe he drops back there and they disguise stuff. And, you know, it's not the coverage he thought it was. And guys aren't really getting separation. And so he has to pull the ball down. A lot of that could be it. But well, it just I look looked back like at, everything yeah. when it's perfect, he was missing guys. I look back at this game, Rick, and if they had won, they'd have been three and one, and it would have been great. And but I, but at that point, you can't sit there and say, "Well, the season's made; everything's going to be great now." At the, by the same token, the fact that they they're now two and two, I'm not ready to sit here and say, "Oh, the season's lost; the season's over." There were a lot of encouraging things I thought in this game Thursday night. Uh, the fact that Doug Martin ran the football and ran it very well—that's the biggest that was, one. That was very positive. And, and it, the more I watch this defense, Rick, the more uh, I'm convinced that it's it's a it's a good enough defense to get you through in the NFL. They're, I don't know they're an elite defense, but yeah. they're certainly uh, – they're not bottom – they're, they're middle of the road, which should be good enough if you have a decent offense. Anyway. Well, they're hanging in there. That much I'll give you. We wouldn't have said much about them after the Minnesota game. If, you know, Brent Grimes goes out, they're different, you know. But consider that they're not playing with Corn Alexander. They're not playing with Levante David. If and when those guys get back and everybody else manages to stay relatively healthy, they're going to have something. They still don't have a great pass rush. I thought the guys played hard, and they did get Brady on the ground a few times. But, you know, and they got a turnover, which is remarkable because Tom doesn't turn it over. It's his first interception this year. 
But, I mean, I like the fight. I like what Mike Smith has done. They got some good young players that are getting better. Beckwith has been a phenomenal story. But Justin Evans came in and played pretty big. You know, he had the pick uh, and made some nice tackles and, and, and covered and fought hard and covered some ground and, and showed his, his athleticism. So, you know, it's promising. What would you um, think of Vernon Hargraves? I thought he had a terrible game. Yeah. I thought they, they threw at Vernon. They threw in front of Vernon. They threw over top of Vernon. I mean, that's another guy. You're in your second year now. You know, you had a bad first half. You had a good second half. And you're, you're sort of every other game. I mean, Minnesota was not a good game for him. Um, now he comes out tonight. Grimes is on the other side. They're attacking him. And they completed a lot of balls on him. And he was, at, you know, again, not knowing the coverage, but it just seemed like he wasn't competing as much as he did the week before. You know, the week before, um, you know, both Grimes and him, I thought, played exceptionally well. But not so good tonight. But even having said all that, I mean, they scored a touchdown, okay? They scored one touchdown. So whether Hargraves was good, bad, or indifferent, whether they, you know, were, were great, I mean, they, they did what you're supposed to do. That's the old Buck defense where, hey, you know, we're going to let you go up and down the field a little bit, but you're not going to score touchdowns. So... I I credit Mike Smith for what he's done, you know. But there's no – look, there's no guarantee, you know. Here's the thing. Carolina beat this team on the road. Yeah, by okay, scoring in New England, by the way. Yeah. And scored 33 points doing it. And I'm sure, you know, New England turned some guys loose and it was really easy for them. But they got one up on the Bucs. They've beaten the Patriots. The Bucs did not. And the Bucs right. had them at home. So what does that say? I know it's every given week, but – where would you rank the Bucks right now in the NFC South the way they're playing? Well, they're tied with New Orleans for third or last, depending on how you look at it. You've got, um, I believe that's right. I think you have Atlanta's 3-1, and one, and I want to say Carolina's 3-1. and one. Um, At some point, those guys will have bye weeks, and I know the Bucks are only 2-2. Two and two, or may, They may be – well, they played five games, so I guess – Well, they, they made it up. They already made up their game because those teams are going to play this weekend. So you, That's they, right. Right. They'll, they'll, that's right. Yeah, they made it up. Yet. Yeah, now they're even. Yeah. Um, but – you know, so it's a long season and all that, and I, I think it's a better football team. They wouldn't have come out here and gone toe-to-toe with any New England team the last two years. No. They hung in there. You know, they really did, and they fought, and you liked the fight. I didn't think Dirk Cutter called a good game all that much, and I, I just, you know, when you go three and out and you don't have three more plays, three more plays, three more plays, it looks ugly. It, it does, and, and, and as much as though as you, as you might want to jump Dirk Cutter, and I agree with you, I don't think he had a great game, but boy, if Jameis makes a couple of throws, if he hits that little swing pass to, to Doug Martin, if he hits Doug Martin in the, in the numbers, Charles throw it over his head. if he hits the deep ball to, to Deshaun, who showed his frustration. All of a sudden it looks By like the way, the Deshaun stuff after the game, Yeah, um, I might be reading body language. I mean, I, I don't, you know, first of all, Deshaun was, looked banged up. It looked like he landed on the ball or on his wrist, and they just had ice on it. Um, I think he might have hurt his ribs a little bit, but I don't think it's anything serious. But there's some moments, like in the locker room, you kind of see him catch each other's glances like he wanted to talk to him, and, and it seemed like Winston was like, nah, not right now. You know, mm-hmm. they'll get together, but you wonder if that's wearing on Jameis a little bit, you know? And yet, here he comes on a simple little in route and in a zone coverage where it's easy to complete the ball to him, finally gets it out in front of him, hits him in stride, and the guy's so damn fast – he runs through the zone, oh, yeah. runs through it for 41 yards. If that didn't convince Jameis, you know what? I need to get more precise with this dude <laughs> because, like, I can just check it down to him and he's going to go 40. That's what he's done his whole career. You mentioned it after the game. I don't know, Rick, if anything, there's anything controversial here. You mentioned it, though. Like, Jameis Winston took a long time to come out after the game to talk to the media. I don't know if – I don't know Sometimes why. Might have been – might have had to go to the bathroom, I, for all I know. Sometimes it's treatment, you know. Yeah. If you got a little bit of a shoulder injury or you got this or that, they want to check you out, you know, put some ice on whatever it is that might be right. bothering you. That's been my experience. I look at this game, though, Rick, and if I'd have told you before the game – Okay, we're you're going to give New England 19. They're going to score 19. Take it oh, or leave win. it. Stop I, there. I, I was, take Stop it. there. They Absolutely win. Absolutely take it. Yeah. They take win. Take that game. Two and two, Rick. The quarter of the pole season. I think it's going to be this way all year. I think they're going to be uh, up I think one down be the other. Four and four, and they're going to be six and six, and it's going to again come down to the last couple of weeks. And if you win two of the last three, you make it. If you lose two of the last three, you don't make it. I think that's well, maybe. Um, it's interesting the way the schedule set up is that, and we said this at the beginning of the year, like you, you cannot win the division 
uh, before the last week of October and when you start playing division games. There are no division games till the final week of October, and most of them are in November and December. So no one's going to win the division. You could fall out of it, though, and have too much ground to make up. So you're going to have to do a good job over these next few weeks before you get into division play. So I think the NFC South, you know, right now they're one game behind everybody else, I want to say, or a game and a half if you're the Bucks after Sunday. Um, but that's not a comfortable position to be in. And they're going to have to, they're going to, have to go on a roll. I mean, they did it last year. They won five in a row. Nobody saw that coming. They're capable of it. They had won six in a row at home. So they're feeling a little com- more comfortable about playing here. The crowd was electric. There was a lot of Patriots fans, but people responded. So not the worst position to be in after, uh, you know, last year they were one and three, and that was a hole. Yeah, well, I told the players, I mean, two and two uh, after after the first quarter of the season, we were, we were one and three at this time last year. So, we, you know, we've, we've been here before. Uh, you know, we're going to have to win some games on the road, and uh, – we, we got a couple more guys banged up tonight, but you know we also have four really good football players on the defensive side sitting out tonight, and you know we're going to be getting those guys back here at some point. You know you can't uh, you can't play them over again. We, we, we let this one slip away. It was a good opportunity, and uh, you know it'll we'll put it to bed tomorrow, and I'm sure we'll be stewing on it a little bit, but the players will get a couple days off and and we've got to come back and get ready for Arizona next week. You can't afford to, to slip very far. And would we Is anybody shocked they lost to the Patriots tonight, really, no matter how it happened? No, if you'd have told me again before the season that they would have lost this game, I wouldn't have been all that surprised. But you just, having watched it, having yeah. witnessed it just on this field yeah. here a few minutes ago, yeah. it feels like, wow, that was an opportunity lost. Sure really was. was. Sure Although was. I'm sure New, the New York Giants are saying a week ago, hey, that's a game we should have won. You are you are what your record says you are. They're 2-2. Two and two. They deserve to be 2-2. Two and two. But boy, what an opportunity lost right there. Yeah. The Tampa Bay Lightning opened the season Friday night at Amelie Arena against the Florida Panthers. We'll get more into the Lightning here on another podcast, but I did have a chance to talk to Joe Smith, Lightning beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times, to get his thoughts on the opening of the Lightning season. Joined now by Joe Smith, a Lightning beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times, as the Tampa Bay Lightning opens up their 2017-18 season Friday night at Amelie Arena against the Florida Panthers. And Joe, I guess the big question everybody has, and you've talked to him a number of times throughout this training camp, Lightning captain Steven Stamkos. How's he look? How's he feel? And uh, are we going to see the same Steven Stamkos again? Well, I think you have to be really encouraged. I mean, if you're a Lightning fan, if you watch the preseason games, because it's kind of a unknown how he would look, how he would feel, and people with the worst-case scenario, everything. But within four games, he played three games in five nights, and his knee responded really well. For the first game in, first time in 10 months he played, uh, he was flying up and down the ice. He was creating plays. He had six shots on goals last game. A lot of the same Steven Stamkos you know, characteristics you saw there on the ice. The timing's not there. You know, some of the little passes and plays and one-timers a little bit off. I think it's understandable for being gone for so long, but I think he will return to Steven Stamkos of old, the one he, he broke his leg three years ago, came back and played the best hockey of his life. He had the blood clot in his collarbone and came back and played the best hockey of his life before he got hurt last November. It's going to happen, I think, just a matter of time. It may not be by Friday night. The other guy that everybody's interested in is uh, Mikhail Sergachev, the defenseman they picked up from Montreal and Jonathan Drouin trade. How has he looked? I know he's going to start the season with Tampa Bay. They have up to 10 games to send him back to junior, and then he would be down there for the rest of the season. What's your gut tell you right now, Joe? Is he end up, Is he going to stay with the Lightning, do you think? Do you think he'll stick, or do you think they're going to wait and see and he'll end up going back? I think they're going to wait and see and evaluate and give it every all the nine games they possibly can, but it be my, my gut that thinks he's going to stick. I think he's going to stay. I think it's hard to not watch the games, even though it's preseason, and watch him in practice and not think he's one of their top six defensemen. And as much as the Lightning probably doesn't want to let his entry-level contract start, much as they probably like that second round pick next year if he plays 40 games. If he's going to give them the better chance to win uh, right now, make the playoffs and get there, I think they're going to have him play. They've been really impressed with the poise for this 19-year-old kid, kind of the swag, as Cooper calls it, the way he's able to play the puck and move up in the zone and, and handle some mistakes. And he's been playing with Anton Stroman, who is a top four particular role, a guy who could be really good for a young defenseman to ease his way into the league. I mean, he won't be Bobby Orr <laughs> overnight. He won't be against great defensemen, but I think he's a guy who can contribute 
right away and be a guy they can depend on for maybe 15 or so minutes. Everybody's still talking about Jonathan Drouin. What kind of year do you think Drouin's going to have with Montreal? Well, if you read the clippings, he'll be a Hall of Fame. He'll play for Travis <laughs> Jersey up in the Bell Center Raptors right now. But no, I think he'll be he'll be good. He'll be a dynamic player. He'll probably be the leading scorer. He'll, he'll, he'll jumpstart their power play. I think he'll be very popular. He's going to love it there. You know, if he goes through a 12-game slump, I'm sure they'll the media will get out on him. There'll be sure. different kind of pressure there, but he thrives in that pressure. I think he'll he'll really enjoy it. They'll be really good. Uh, moving to center, be a little bit of adjustment for him. But I think overall, yeah, like you said many times before, Tom, they might win that trade in the first year or so. But I think in the long run, I think Blaine will be very happy with what they have in Zerbychev. How will the Lightning replace his offense? Can they replace Jonathan Drouin's offense? Well, the one thing you think they're going to miss, especially is his power play. He's the quarterback of that power play last year. A big reason why Kucherov and Hedman had such huge years. Um, but I think they're going to do something different this year. They're having Samkos and Kucherov together in the power play and on the first line. Uh, that really creates a dynamic one-two punch there that can really help out. And I think they're not going to replace him, his scoring, but they need other guys like the Yanni Gords and uh, Braden Points um, and, uh, and Alex Kalorns to step up and fill that bowl as a collective group, not just one person. The other big question is, in goal, Andre Vasilevsky, he'll be the number one goalie from the start of the season. Andre, do you think he's ready to handle this role? I think, yeah, I think he's ready. I think he's been ready for, for a little while now. I think he showed late last season when he had that number one role down the stretch. They went 18-6-4, and four, largely with him being arguably their best player on the ice to get to that particular point under pressure. And now that he doesn't have any safety net of Ben Bishop, doesn't have the questions of who's going to be number one, who's going to, when it'll be his turn. Now it is his net and his turn, and he's really focused, and he's really determined to say, I'm not going to let you guys down. And if they play well in front of him or relatively well in front of him, I think he's going to be a guy they can count on this year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see over 55, 60 starts if you can get consistency, he'll be there, which is the more important thing in a, in a goalie. But I think overall he's ready to go. Joe, in looking at the national uh, publications and websites and TSN in Canada and Sportsnet and USA Today, a lot of people are picking this team not only to make the playoffs, but to get to the Stanley Cup Finals and maybe even win it. Is this team good enough to win a Stanley Cup? I mean, we asked that same question last year, Tom. Maybe we all picked them to win Stanley Cup and they, they fell short. I think they do have the team, the talent up there. They have the goalie. They have the, the superstars and everything to win a Stanley Cup. They're going to make the playoffs first. I think that once they get there, I think they're not, there's a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference that could give them a run for their money, but I think they do have the chance to make the playoffs first. And so I think overall, not going to be not going to be a cakewalk. They're, I think they'll make the playoffs, just like you said, but... There are no guarantees they make they win the Stanley Cup, and it'll be a, a really hard road to get there, get back there. Rick, I'm excited for the Lightning season. Boy, I'm surprised at how many people are picking this team to win the Stanley Cup. I don't. There's something that tells me they're not. I'm gonna have to be convinced <laughs> before uh, before I'm ready to say they're they're gonna win the Stanley Cup. But I, nationally, and looking at websites in Canada and so forth, a lot of a lot of people picking this team to win the Cup. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they pick them last year too? They did. You know I mean, so they didn't, they didn't make the playoffs. I think what I like about them, and I was listening to an interview with Steven Samkos, is that I don't think internally, like I think, I think they know they have a good team, but I think they were humbled last year. And you know, when you look, look back at it, they only needed like maybe a couple more points to get yeah, in the playoffs, yeah. one more point. Um, but they they got off to a bad start, and they were always chasing it, and then they got the injuries, Samkos, and so on. But to not make the playoffs, to have the talent that they had, um, I think really set them back. And so I think it's good that, that what you hear from, from Stamkos and others is that, hey, look, we're, we have to focus on making the playoffs. Forget about, you know, we're not just automatically going back to the finals, Eastern Conference finals or the Stanley Cup. Let's, let's keep things a little more short term here and try to play every night hard. And they seem to have come back with the right attitude. They said it was a very tough training camp and, you know, guys are grinding away. And you know what? Sometimes, and I remember this is true, I remember, you know, when the Bucks had some success and, and, and I know the Lightning have gone beyond that to the Stanley Cup and lost, but um, sometimes when you when you are good and you, and you get humbled, you don't make the postseason, then you realize it's just you just can't, you know, as they say, put your throw your skates out on the yeah, sticks out sticks on, the on the ice. ice yeah, right. I mean, you have to actually play and play hard. But they also need some breaks. I mean, let's be honest. The injuries that they – I mean, if Stamkos can't make it through the balance of a season, then he becomes the guy that now is injury prone. I mean, oh, yeah. he's had too many of these, you know, with the broken leg, which is freakish, the rib, the, you know, the knee. And, and so it starts there. I mean – but him and Kucherov are going to be on the same line. Yeah, him and Kucherov are going to be on the same line. Look, I, I think this is a pretty talented hockey team. And I'm like you, Rick, in that 
I think missing the playoffs last year not only humbled him, but it gave him some rest. I really do think there's something to the fact that they played a lot of hockey the last the two previous years. Last year, when you think about, they came into training camp. A lot of those guys, a lot of those guys were playing in the World Cup of Hockey. So, guys like Hedman and Stamkos and and Johnson and all like all these guys were they they were like they were tired before the season started. Absolutely, and and it got off to a bad start. And you go back and look at statistically. Teams that are in the playoff pack, even as early as Thanksgiving or Christmas, if you're not in there by Christmas, you have a very hard time. And the Lightning had this incredible close to a season, winning like 24 of their last, whatever, 35, something crazy. And it still wasn't good enough to get in. So I think they'll have a much quicker start. But anyway, we're looking forward to it. Start of season coming up Friday night against the Florida Panthers. Rick, extra rest now for the Bucks. They'll get the weekend off. Then comes next week's game in Arizona. Big weekend of college football coming up. Florida State, Miami, Florida LSU. Who you got in those games? You got FSU or Miami? I got FSU. I, I'm not sure why. I just think that uh, Me too. they're going to hit their stride. Uh, and uh, I'm not sold just yet on Miami. The game's in Tallahassee. I think they get to two and two, and we'll see where they go from there. And Florida LSU, I mean, if there's one team that's you know having a rough rougher time of it than Florida, it's LSU at Orgeron. But I I think Florida is very capable of losing to anybody, and because <laughs> they're capable know, of not scoring against cause, anybody. Because yeah, because Vanderbilt almost had them, and you know it, Tennessee it, too. But you know what, Jim McElwain must have some rabbit's feet, four leaf clovers, horse shoes, whatever. Well, because man, he may win nine again and end up in Atlanta. It's just it's unfathomable. But they they're just this is a terrible conference this year. I'll, until they see Georgia, who looks like you know they curb stomp Tennessee, which is nothing. Um, but that's a team that Tennessee Tennessee went into Florida. And well, that's a team they need a hell Mary fits. to beat. Yeah. yeah so, exactly. um, but I don't you know beyond that. I mean, the rest of the the rest of the conference is bad. So you got Bad Florida. Ball. You got. I got Florida making. winning, but I yeah, but it's only closer than my, the experts think. My lack, of, yeah, my lack <laughs> of faith in the LSU Tigers and Ed Orgeron. Poor Ed, just yeah, can't keep a job. It. Yeah, he's not yeah, going to get it. Pick up your pick up the white courtesy phone. You're about done. That's it. Uh, so we'll be back Monday to talk about those games. Our thanks to our producer Steve Verstick. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.